0: Namo Taza Bhagavato Rahato Samma Namo Taza Bhagavato Rahato Samma Namo Taza Bhagavato Rahato Samma Sambuddhasa Udang Dhamma Sangang Namasami So this is Sala Puja. It's the day when we make a commemoration out of the Buddha's first sermon, the teaching of the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path, which is the the main skillful means or the skillful theme that the Buddha presented um, as a, uh, a vehicle for freedom, liberation. Mm. Mm. So these are not ultimate truths, in fact the Buddha didn't teach an ultimate truth he only taught relative truths but these relative truths are specifically related to the experience of dukkha, suffering, stress, discontent, imbalance, incompletion, trouble, pain Because, of course, this is the bit that hits everyone, and the bit that we wriggle around, and the bit that uh, uh, we most often feel stymied by. But it's a kind of uh, um, it's the bit that everybody has, really. You don't have to have any kind of beliefs in order to suffer. (laughs) Doesn't matter, big or small, you know. And uh, so, this is it's kind of something that we all gather, and of course, it interests us, it doesn't interest us in an exciting way, but it's certainly, you know, we, we get focused around that about avoiding it and making sure, trying to make sure it doesn't happen, and, uh, or blaming it on someone else, or blaming it on ourselves. Certainly, there's a huge amount of energy that happens around this particular topic and, you know, stress in the body, but even more so, stress in the heart. Yeah, feelings of frustration, irritation, boredom, feeling left out, feeling misunderstood, feeling bereaved, feeling needing, wanting, and so forth, mm. conflicts, and so on. Terribly poignant, arresting stuff. Mm. It took a Buddha a while to to actually, you know, consider teaching this because it. Sort of thing that most people sh- would shy away from, and sometimes when it's taught, people think makes Buddhism sounds kind of depressing, um, as if as if we're making this some kind of ultimate statement. <laughs> but the the really beautiful thing is that this this very uncomfortable, awkward truth, uh, if it's if it's hand if it's met appropriately, takes us to an absolute treasure. Mm. An absolute treasure that uh, is rarely, rarely f- experienced. Yeah. So it's the, of course, the, the, uh, you know, the bit is that it has to first of all be acknowledged, there is this, and then uh, a lot of our practice is actually just squaring up to that, rather than the normal wriggle that we do around that, which is to kind of. Try and shrug it off, or um, defend ourselves from it, or blame it on someone, or blame it on ourselves, or run away, or faint, or freak out in some way or another. <laughs> I mean, we're very good wrigglers. It's you know, it's not even a conscious decision. You know, we, just, our system and nervous is designed to do that. Just to get me out of here. Um, <clears throat> yeah, but the, the teaching is that not through not through not having this, or, or not through avoiding it, not even through kind of patching it up, but really through fully, you know, allowing it, or understanding it, or penetrating it with awareness that we are something more magnificent than than comfort and safety. Mm-hmm. And happiness and friendship, something even better than that, occurs. So it's actually not like you patch it up and you get back to normal. You don't patch it up. You just open it right up and you, you pass through to, to a transcendent. You know, he didn't he didn't think that many people would be interested in this kind of prospect. <laughs> but there are a few. And uh, there are times when we, we're able to do that, times we desperately don't want it to happen. And eventually we just keep coming back to this is to be understood. Because the wriggle that we do doesn't work for long. Works for a bit. Yeah, for a bit. But not for long. Mm. Saying it's so valuable, this, that if somebody, you know, the parable he uses is somebody would have kind of take you and slash you with spears in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening, and do, do that every day for a hundred years. And he said, if you if you can stay with this for a hundred years, at the end of it, you'll understand the four noble truths. Somebody offers you that deal, shaken by the hand. <laughs> he says, you, you know, you won't regret it. It's worth it. It's a parable, thank goodness. <laughs> but sometimes it feels like that, doesn't it? Hundred spheres in the morning, hundred spheres in the afternoon. <laughs> Cause the, the amazing thing about human beings, you know, is is that you know we, we, we have vast cosmos of suffering. You know, it's not just a simple old Suffering a slug or a weasel gets, you know, and a bash on the head, or whatever they, you know. But our um, minds are such complex systems, and they're with immense skills and and possibilities. But it's rather like um, between a hammer and a computer, you know, a hammer, it just breaks, not much else goes wrong with it. Computers, they're always messing up you know there's always something that's bugging them viruses you know something's going wrong with them and we're a bit like that so we can suffer immensely over gestures over innuendos over feeling kind of unwanted or feeling too much wanted or feeling wanted in the wrong ways or you know you know, perception, mistrust, or not being liked, or not—you know—getting a raw deal. Uh, this kind of immense perceptual realm that we create, our minds create. We don't particularly want them to create that; they just do that. But although the the kind of uh, you know suffering is very varied, you know, from and it always feels the same, you know, if somebody drops a ham on your toe or somebody, you know, sort of looks at you cross-eyed at the wrong time of day the feeling is, oh no it shouldn't happen, this is wrong that's the feeling, comes up, that's the response so at any time you can expect the same amount of suffering over a, a A mental mood as you can over a physical sensation sometimes much more because the mental stuff seems to carry immense depth to it immense um, uh, potential immense kind of eats into the structure of what we seem what we assume ourselves to be we feel kind of lost or confused or inadequate or and then it sort of everything starts to rattle and shake So quite a lot of the practice really is just about trying to simplify the the immense complexities uh, of what we experience down to some pretty primary primary um, primary themes. You know, is this is this suffering? Is it causing suffering? Is it releasing suffering? Is it on the path? So you try to look at your what you what you're doing and what you're, you know, what you're doing in those terms, yeah. so you try to kind of just keep, bear that in mind, you know, when you're aiming for something, is this, is this, is this about, are you about to head for some suffering, <laughs> you know, is this going to help to release it, is it building up the strength to release that, or is it going the wrong way, you know. What we're doing, and when you look at things, you know, look around things you can want, that's going to cause one suffering, isn't it? You know, just as you know, creating the appetite for a bit more things for something to want, to have, to be, to get, to get hold of. Mm. Get a feel of that, you yeah. know what that feels like. This is the skill of it. Why we develop the kind of sense of just restraining, checking what we're doing with our senses, with our eyes, appetites, you know, in minds. Are we moving towards things that, that, in a way, that's going to generate more stress or not? Hmm. As people do. We get so um, dazzled by the incredible potential of the mind, its ability to calculate, imagine, conceive, balance, charge, assess, that we kind of get lost, dazzled by it. And, uh, you know, it's like you end up juggling balls walking into a bonfire. You know, oh, this is great, look what I'm doing, it's great. actually you know, steadily walking in a bonfire and looking at the balls when it's juggling in one's hands. You know, quite a lot of human endeavours seem to be this nature. You know, the kind of military-industrial stuff and the Um, entertainment and kind of fashions and things like that incredible dazzling stuff that sets up desire fear aggression Mm. pollution poverty Mm. because it's so dazzling power, beauty success, fame thrills, new things it's really dazzling it's a dangerous system but we very much you know feel it's our right to to do all that you know you don't want some puritanical thing clamping it all down so most of us have to get kind of burnt a bit here and there you know the hard way it's called the hard sutra (laughs) (laughs) Ah, sutra, the Buddha. There is but one way to learn, bhikkhus. It's called the hard way. (laughs) So, quite a lot of it's like that. But if you want to kind of abbreviate some of that, then you start to check not just what your tunes your mind is playing, but where they're coming from, who's in the band. Hmm. Can you trust them? The guys in the band. You know, those kind of peppy thoughts and zingy moods and emotions and feelings. They're great, but who's playing them? So you kind of get to the point, the basis, the underlying basis of what one's driven by, motivated by And there are kind of challenges in that. But one of the uh, skills that we, we do develop or encourage to develop because it's kind of, it's, not really a, it's not really making any kind of statement about uh, what we should or shouldn't be or do is just being mindful of the body. You, you know, so it's safe enough, isn't it? Mindful of the body. And the Buddha actually, said, this is really, really valuable. And so much so that he said that you don't you don't realize Nibbani, you don't taste without developing mindfulness of the body. This is the one thing you have to develop. Because it acts as the basic uh, container for the energies of our bodies, our minds, our thoughts, our hearts, our emotions, it acts as the kind of grounder the thing you can you can check these energies against. So you're feeling kind of tense and uptight. Check it out on your body. Oh, well, oh, yeah, that's right. I didn't realise that because the mind was busy chirping away about this, that, or the other, or about what everybody else is doing, which is very very common. When you get tense and uptight, and you start to find. You know, you lose this, you try to figure out every else. Something's wrong with everyone else. It sort of throws you out. One of the basic wriggles we do, or well, the mind does, is to divert attention from what's happening in one's own domain to the external. So you to just check that. Maybe true, maybe true. But let's just check what's happening in the body first of all. You feel the tension in your body? Do you want this is this is suffering, isn't it? could you relax, could you loosen up that and see how the world appears from a more relaxed and easeful bodily sense only you know. the intensities die down this is kind of this very... and then you don't have to uh, judge the thoughts or feelings you have make a big deal out of them uh, Assess them, you know, but just just sense what's happening in your body. Can you find a steady, easeful bodily sense? You know, can you breathe in and breathe out? You just check it out. It's very simple. That's, but it's doing it, isn't it? Because all the time the mind wants to get out. Wants to get out. Wants to get out. Hmm. So in fact, you know, mindfulness of the body itself is something to cultivate in a very steady and restful way. It's not something to get uptight about. Because in fact, it's that one of the things you want to come out of is getting uptight about anything. Including meditation. So just come back, because we have a body what's happening, the soles of the feet, the palms of the hands, the shoulders, the neck, the throat, all these places which should be open and soft, but actually you can feel them tightening up or or losing awareness of them. And that's a sign, isn't it? Mm -hmm. What's happening? And just things like, is it possible to, you know, hold a conversation keeping the body in mind keeping that, that presence of body in mind mm. is it possible to you know, speak to move around just keeping that basic frame of reference what's happening in your body when does it start to feel jumpy uh, when does it start to feel needs to be defended tightened up mm. so you know, We use a word like meditation, but actually, the Buddha taught mindfulness of the body, Mm -hmm. the skills of it, gathering attention. Composing attention. Attention itself is something that you know, has a kind of spectrum, really. You have a kind of sharp end of it, which is a pointy, sharp bit, which is very much about detail. Bop, bop, bop. You know, hit the point, get that sharp attention. Often we use it like that. Attention, be attentive. It's sharp, point, point, point. Um, but also there's a there's a there's a there's a softer end to it you know a spectrum you could say so when you you know hopefully when you come in here for example you have just the first of all a basic overall sense of you know what's happening what's this about room space floor people uh-huh. silent so and you get that overall sense and then you start to focus on a particular detail what is it, you know check out some details and you keep referring the details back to the overall sense and this you don't decide to do this I imagine this is you know what you do what the mind will do yeah. you but you but you know you've got to get the basic overall sense first of all you know you come into somebody's house you knock on the door hello and you first of all just get a general feeling what are they they look what's it like in here and then maybe you start to focus on particular bits, details, the door, the chair, the person, the cat, whatever. You get the overall sense. You just keep moving, you know. And then when you're talking, you get the overall sense of what's going on, the specific details. The mind is always moving between, if you like, an overall sense and a specific detail. Now, if we just get into the details, it's like we can miss the wood for the trees. Like, you know, this is the the classic example, of the, you know, the absent-minded professor doing incredible calculus equations but walking out the door with his dressing gown and a, and a lump of toast in his pocket. Because <laughs> he he's kind of lost the overall sense of what he's doing. He's just kind of completely, you know, mesmerized by some particular detailed topic, you know. You'll forget to sh- do your shoelaces up or things of this nature. So the the mind can just get and is uh, can get detail detailed, over detailed, and we, when we do, we lose the overall sense. And the overall sense, in my experience, is probably the thing to develop first, you know, because our attention tends to go towards details. Uh, but uh, but you can't really arrive at the overall sense even. From a mass of details, because it's another it's another kind of attention. It's not a quality of attention that comes from accumulating bits and pieces, looking at this, that, this. The over, it's a different, wider, more spacious, uh, different sensitivity. Um, and it's a sensitivity that allows you to feel both what's happening internally, you might say, and externally. You know what's happening in your own moods, your emotions, what state you're in, as well as what's going on around you. So you get that it's non-specific. It's like a very wide sense, and you can sense with that body, feeling a little nervous, you know, and something internal and external things, and gradually, just by by bearing the whole thing in mind, it sort of starts to even out. Because the sense of the whole thing has got a, a grounded quality to it. Mm-hmm. You come into the whole sense of your body, it's got a grounded sense, grounded quality to it. You feel, oh, here we are. Because that's exactly what the body sense does. It provides you with a sense of where you are. Here I am right now. If you don't have that, you don't have a sense of where you are. So what happens is we live in our thoughts or we live in our moods and feelings. And we're trying to find some solid ground in things that can't actually provide them. Yeah. So if we get kind of really intense about our thoughts to try to make them really solid, figured out, definite, concrete, stable plan of where things are going to be, absolutely and bulk, Another hole has appeared in it because thought doesn't do that. You yeah. know, you try to arrive at a kind of an emotional state that's, that's steady and serene, and it doesn't happen. It's always, oops, there, something else has capsized it. Something else has made it ripple and resonate. You know, because that's what it's supposed to do. <laughs> you know, it's supposed, emotions are supposed to ripple and resonate, and that's that's their function. They're not about providing ground, they're about providing response. And response, certainly, is important, of course. Thinking, certainly, is important, of course. But they don't provide you with ground. They provide you with response and detail and what to do. But they don't tell you where you are. So it's like if we lose that, it's like like we've got the... the top two stories of the house but we don't have the foundation of the ground floor so where how solid is the house without that <clears throat> so that sense of mindfulness just working on the the overall sense of having a body being a body uh, not because the body is so great but what it does is it provides you with a A very good template you can feel that grounded sense and as you sense that you also begin to get a feeling for space that is there's no pressure you know know, because when we're sitting here actually nothing is pressing on the body so you start to get a feeling of space and your your mind and heart pick that up. They pick up the sense of groundedness. They pick up the sense of space, and that really helps in giving the support to the the, the emotions the moods and the thoughts. So they no longer um, capture, but they they help. They're, they're the things we can use. They're things that we can listen to without being mesmerised by the things we can pick up, put down, value. We don't get mesmerized or drawn in with them. <clears throat> so space and ground is what you get through mindfulness of the body. And you can take that as you, as you sit, sit down, you can take just the whole experience of the body. Well then, of course, what will tend to happen is you'll be aware of the rhythm of breathing. It's kind of flowing rhythm of breathing. And that, again, is very skillful. Just the overall sense of the rhythm of it, because it provides a soothing, stabilizer. A sense of stability is not rigid. It's flowing, but it's continual flowing, and it's soft, and it's suffusive. It doesn't it spreads through the whole body. So you get something that's actually got a massaging effect. Um, and that really helps, again, with the kind of jagged, or stale or stagnant or locked emotional mental states so this is a way in which we at least create a ground uh, whereby we're not um, thrown into generating suffering and stress and it also provides a ground that can start to release the impacted or the compacted Suffering and stress of fear, anxiety, frustration, need, confusion, ignorance, wanting to be something, wanting to have something, wanting to get something, fearing of being nothing, feelings one wasted one's life, feeling there should be something one has. So, I want this kind of very, very deep impacted stuff that seems to be possible to assuage and allay but never, never does get you can't feed it enough it's like a gaping mouth you can shovel happiness, spiritual truths down it till the cows come home and it still gapes for more spiritual truths great feelings, great times, friendships, and you can shovel them down that gaping hole. And they taste good, and they give me some more. (laughs) Not to say there's anything wrong with them, but, you know, certainly nothing wrong with them at all, but, you know, get what you can. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, it's just to recognise it's not... It's just not uh, a, a resource that's going to, you know, going to finally complete anything. Doesn't it? Never gets completed that way. You no, know, the kind of spiritual hunger is probably the deepest of the lot because it's it's so so tantalising. You know, if I could only get samadhi, enough samadhi, if I could only get to the state, you know. There's just this, if make that go away and stop that and shut that down and more effort here and tighten that up and intensify that and put that away and let go of that and get those things out of like the Really gonna get to that thing? <laughs> <laughs> you know, what thing? You know, finally <laughs> you know, you, you get a good solid grasp on letting go. <laughs> you know, what is it? What is it? You know? What, what, whatever clothes it wears, whatever it dresses itself up as, what does it feel like? You know? as the mind can generate enormous wrappings and decor and stuff. So you've got to go to through the body, begin to actually feel the, the the raw energy of experience of the mental experience. And I find this is incredibly useful, though I miss it many, many times. But uh, whenever I really tune into that, you know, just the, the you would say that really the the basic you've only got one energy system. It, you know, you've only got one battery, if you like, and the thoughts and the emotions and the body are all running from the same source. So, if you get to that and are able to just steady and stabilize that, then that actually takes care of everything that springs out from that the thoughts, the emotions, the nervousness, nervous jitteriness in the body, or the stale, stagnant senses in the body, and what the mind can make out of that. And you just get to the energy of it, of the system, and you start to heal it, soothe it, steady it, work with it, balance it. Then it, it does uh, have this way of just, you know, just relieving a lot of the of the density of mental phenomena with their seductive qualities. What does it? Feel, you know, so you get the feeling of the energy. What does it feel like? You, know, you feel tense or uptight or jittery or nervous or sinking or sagging. And then, very simply, we don't, through mindfulness of the body, you don't really have to understand it, but just breathe in, breathe out, breathe in, breathe out. You send the energy, the natural energy of breathing through that and it begins to just ease it, soothe it. and it Suddenly the world changes. You know, the world of one's imaginations and hopes and ambitions and fears and he starts to Oh because you've you've changed the energy that supports it. So we start to see, you know, all of that outreach that's trying to find a way to get out of the inadequate to achieve the final goal to make things work, to get rid of these difficulties in my life, to find a way to handle other people. All this kind of reach out, reach out, reach out. Just just Can we just be with that? Whatever however it expresses itself, just being with that and widening widening the sense. Not trying to get away from it or just widening one's Awareness to include that, and just breathing in, breathing out through it. Very simple method, you might say. Letting the breath flow through that, letting the energy of the breath flow through that. Just see what happens. Because you're not disapproving of it, you're not saying, you know, you shouldn't think this or feel this, or make it, or you trying to make it go away. You just want to see what happens when you widen. Your awareness to to include it, you know. When you've got those demons in your mind working away hard, you say, "Well, let's give them some energy. Let's open up and breathe with them. Come you know, well, on, lads, keep going." You know. Something. Like, oh, and they quiet them down. So it's holding this kind of. Basic practice mindfulness, breathing, awareness, and then just holding that, it's, it's you know, just then whatever comes up through that. So There's a release. First of all, it's just things like calming down a bit, feeling a bit more centered. Oh, right, less fuzzy, less rattled. And then? And then what? What next? And then what? Where's that one come from? (laughs) Feeling a little bit sort of, you know, I've done this, okay, next bit. (laughs) It's like an itch. Is it scratch it? Mm. So you know when you develop, when you get a sense of there's something really valuable and interesting is coming through this uh, very dense wall of thoughts and feelings, and you come to something feeling a little bit lighter and more assured. Then ah, let's see if you can carry that on through the perhaps the subtler stuff, you know. The feeling of meditating, for example. Who's meditating? What does that mean? What sort of system should I be using? How long do we do this for? Am I any good at it? How long does it take? I don't want to waste my time. How long is it going to take before I get to the... Is there somewhere? Or am I just wasting my time? You know, what's happening? <laughs> you get to the kind of fidgety bit. The fidgety level. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you... Why include that. Sometimes it's just that fidgety stuff. Sometimes it's this uh, something much uh, uh, deeper, you know, or more intrinsic. The kind of which all this stuff really comes from—the craving, the thirst. It's not a. It's not a, It's not a desire. It's much stronger than that It's a whole reflex to hold something. Pull something in, get some experience, have something happen. <laughs> I can have happened and been here and had something happen and got something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you know, the, the, or the feeling, maybe the, the fear that can come up. Maybe I'm, you know, maybe I'm going to completely dissolve and disappear. So very fundamental instincts of, of trying to be or fear of not being, or trying to not be. You know? mm-hmm. And and really, it's like this is. Uh, 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 actually the essence of the second noble truth is this sense of that that pull to have something to be something, to get somewhere to be somebody which is much deeper just some conscious wish it's a whole structure in in our lives it doesn't shift easy and we don't fight with that you can't fight with it but what you can do is just very gently just rest your awareness onto that pull, that pulling center. Because it always centers, it always always pulls you into some hard center. You can feel yourself tightening up around these things. And it's got a gravity to it, craving, tanha. And uh, what we do is just recognize your, your awareness is actually bigger than the craving. If it wasn't, there would be no possibility for liberation. But it's only because it is bigger, that we are bigger than this very fundamental thirst, that we are bigger and finer and more wonderful. And we don't have to be it. We don't have to make ourselves bigger. We actually have something that's bigger. And it's this quality of of awareness that can get bigger and bigger and bigger, wider and wider. Ground ground in the body, ground in the space, even ground just you start to be able to ground yourself in awareness as you get more skilled at it. Because you can feel the steady the still, the spacious, and you can feel this tightening, pulling. And you just hold the two together, very gently, and things start to peel, peeling away. And right there in the centre of it is this place that we most want to fill, to fill up, or we most want to defend, you know, the bit that we really want to don't want to be in, that we want to fill up the whole, the or defend ourselves from the, the rawness of that, you know, that kind of place where you feel vulnerable, open, confused, uncertain, needy, you know, what's the point of my life, existential angst, you know, right there, you know, just resting, not in the hole, but all the way across it, and uh, it starts to unpeel, and really through that there's something amazing something amazing on the other side of that place we don't want to go on the other side of the fear on the other side of the grief the sense of loss the other side of the frustration something very beautiful if you could you give it your, your awareness that it needs. Mm. And it doesn't mean uh, think about it. It doesn't mean certainly doesn't mean think about it. And it doesn't mean you know concentrate on it, intensify it. It means spread, get bigger than that. So it's something you can sense almost within your field of awareness. And this is why this sense of softening, softening and widening is so helpful and kind of counterintuitive because I guess we assume that a big tough thing like suffering you've got a big tough battering ram to get through it. You know. But uh, there are different kinds of strengths. And the strength, the Buddha recommend is patience. Patience, dispassion, equanimity persistence it's a soft but tremendous strength of water not the strength of iron and in the sharp point of attention which we use just to see question the sharp point of attention uses a question what really is going on where actually is the pull? What, where is the thing I'm trying to not be or be? Where am I getting, where does it happen? How does it happen? It's like a continual questioning that helps to, to point to the places where we get, um, we, we get blind, or we get compulsive. The got to do's or the got to have or can't do or can't am never. You know those those flash statements that happen that kind of suddenly crackle and flash. You know, can't stand this for another minute. <laughs> mhm. <laughs> you know, that that. Really? You sure? Is it true? I don't want to stand it for another minute. Definitely, but can't stand it. No, not true. You know. So that's that's the point. That's the sharp bit and then it always helps you to keep from believing in <coughs> these particular kind of powerful mood thoughts. It's not the thought, it's not the mood, it's the mood and the thought together. You know? That shut us down, that close you can feel them actually close you down, if you are suddenly closed and constricted, struggling, frustrated, shut out. Lost, sinking, you know, by a mood, through one of these mood thoughts. So every time you get one of those, just check, wait, stop, what's happening? You know, is it true? Can you feel it in your body? What's happening in your body? Can you breathe with that? Mm. You know, just get to the energy of that, widen it, steady it, soften so it, come to until you feel the sense of space, the pressure's off and uh, Mm. so that's a process And part of the story of it is you never quite know what the next bit's going to be. The next piece of the story's going to be. You know, suddenly you're in blue water and everything's kind of just really swinging along and wham, you know, it comes a rock. <laughs> you never know quite, or it seems really difficult and impossible and suddenly, oh, it all opens up. Stay awake, yeah. So uh tonight is the uh, the all night vigil and uh <clears throat> encourage everyone to make a accept the fact that nights happen all nights <laughs> and uh Sitting, walking. It's good to develop walking meditation in the summertime. It's very nice. You can be outside. Being with the rhythm of the body. Very nice way to meditate, you know, because it does, by just that sense of moving and the simplicity of it can help to, again, to, to you know, bring one out of these somewhat dense mental realms that we get into. feel the body swinging along slowly walking the rhythm of it the groundingness of it and the sense of the space around you as you move and being with that it's enough it's enough so tonight we'll have a to practice meditation and uh, midnight we'll have a circumambulation go around the stupa and then uh, refreshments and uh, uh, we finish the evening out by the yew tree in the forest so if you can those of you who don't know where that is you tag on to someone in robes and they'll, they'll take you out there so we'll have a morning morning puja three thirty out uh, under the, the big yew tree in the forest. Very very lovely. <clears throat>